Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game as my usual co-host Michael Edgley takes a break to wrap up preparations for a bumper touring party following the Socceroos, which he'll be hosting at the World Cup in Qatar in November. First edition news with Willem van Denderen will get us started. Then Willem will join me for a chat with former Adelaide United and current Adelaide City Chairman Greg Griffin ahead of his club's round of 16 Australia Cup draw, which has thrown up a classic South Australian derby between the former SNSL giant City and the Carl Viet and former City man himself coached A-League Adelaide United. After that, all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem. Then the Eric Ten Hag era at Manchester United has promised a lot since the former Ajax manager arrived, but that didn't account for the planning and scheming of the Brighton and Hove Albion manager, Graham Potter, who successfully steered a side without two of their best players from last season to a first ever win at Old Trafford to talk us through how the Seagulls did it and their ambitions for the season ahead. We'll be joined by the Athletics man at the big side beat, Andy Naylor, and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time as we always do so Derek uh, you're in the uh, in the chair this evening from the top mate uh, great to have you here a busy week um, in football following the opening round of the of the Premier League season we've got City R and La Liga starting this weekend yeah plenty to talk about as always Rob and I did enjoy that first Premier League weekend I'm sure we'll tear into that a little later on I am looking forward to talking to Andy Naylor about Brighton there, a team that we don't cover very often on the show. We are quite top six centric, uh, probably due to the, the the couple of the people that actually present and contribute to this show. But Andy Naylor will certainly have some views about the Seagulls, Rob. Yeah, he sure will. And anyone who's been listening to Box to Box for a long, long time now will remember that in our early days, we had a former uh, Brighton and Hove Albion media manager, Ben Soro Perez, appearing regularly on the show before they were in the top flight. So to be talking about uh, the Seagulls uh, as they're, they're uh, in back-to-back seasons um, in the English uh, Premier League is, um, is something of... Uh, well, I guess uh, all those years ago, I would have said it's a bit of a surprise. All right, Derek, we'll talk to you in a moment. But uh, Willem, uh, how are you, mate? You've got plenty of news to uh, to get through. So I wanted you to launch the ship, buddy. I do, Rob. I'm well. It's been a great week. Watched plenty of football. And I'd have to say the most entertaining, perhaps unexpectedly, uh, but I would say yeah, the most entertaining match would have been Bentley Greens taking it right up to Sydney FC in the Australia Cup. But we'll get to that for now. We'll start with the young Matildas who have defeated Costa Rica 3-1 in the opening match of, or their opening match of the Under-20 World Cup. Costa Rica are, of course, the hosts, so that is a thumping result and gives them every chance to progress from their group. Australia went down to an outrageous goal on 20 minutes. Check it out if you haven't seen it, but overturned the deficit through Sarah Rose Hunter, Briley Henry, and Kirsty Fenton. Leah Blaney's side now face Brazil on Sunday morning, Eastern time, 6am. They drew Brazil, that is, their opening match with Spain. So, Rob, outstanding result. In the words of Michael Edgley, who's not here to say it, Boom. Yeah, exactly. And that comes a, a week after the, the under-18s won the uh, the uh, ASEAN title uh, against Vietnam. So uh, when we went to air last week, um, they uh, hadn't played that game. So they went ahead and, and won it. So, look, I know I've, I've posed this question in recent times because there has been a, a lot of questions asked about um, the, the pathway and the, and the depth of, uh, of the women's game in this country. But 
that in all seriousness, if he can win a, a local title and then head off to uh, the under-20s World Cup and beat the host coming back uh, from a deficit, then you, you do have to start asking questions. Is, is that depth... Um, a lot better than a lot of the uh, the experts said it might be. Well, I know Michael is probably across this more than you or, or myself, uh, Rob, certainly uh, has thoughts about the weighting of that AFF tournament and how important that is. But there's no doubt about how important the Under-20 World Cup is and to go to Costa Rica. And uh, it's been quite a, quite a prolonged and quite a targeted uh, lead-in. They played uh, Mexico. Uh, they had a little training camp there and took on a local side. Uh, and then to roll out against the host in the first match and take a 3-1 victory, having found yourselves behind and largely outplayed across the first 20 minutes uh, to take uh, a lead after the first match day and then tackle Brazil uh, and Spain. Uh, there's no downplaying that effort. So, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully things are starting to turn and we can have a little bit more of a positive outlook on our uh, on our junior setups, uh, particularly in the women's game ahead of the World Cup next year. Uh, for the men's World Cup, though, that looks set to start a day earlier than planned with a proposal to bring Qatar versus Ecuador forward to November 20 before FIFA. The proposal would allow the host nation the spotlight of the opening match with the Netherlands and Senegal to move to a later slot the following day. It's unclear why organisers broke from tradition in the original schedule. It's believed that if this was to go ahead uh, as well, Derek, that the international window wouldn't open any earlier. So players, uh, particularly from Ecuador, wouldn't be such an issue for the Qatari-based players. But for the Ecuador players, a lot of them uh, who are based in Europe, uh, the crunch would well and truly be on in terms of their preparation. So very strange indeed uh, that this was made in the first place and that they now want to reverse it. Yeah, quite. And I believe Tottenham are also going to have to have one of their games now reorganised as as a result of this. As you said, they've had a pretty long run up to this to get this organised. And yeah, I, I think uh, regardless of how we think about the status of Qatar as a home nation, I think you expect that they will play the first game. There's the amazing scenes. I'd, just to pluck one out of thin air, there was the, uh, the South Africa World Cup where South Africa took the lead, um, Shavalala scored and the home crowd were in delirium and that really kind of set the World Cup on its way. So yeah, a tradition that I think that we would like to keep in the World Cup and they've probably just made the right decision before it became too late. Football Australia and the APL have announced Ebru Kioksal has joined the board of the APL as Football Australia's nominated appointment. Kioksal is a football and finance executive who most recently acted as an independent director with the UK's PFA. She's also served on the Equality and Diversity Advisory Board of the Scottish FA and is considered something of a leader in gender equality in sport. A few words from APL Chair Paul Litterer here. He said, Ebru is a trailblazer in the football world. We're excited to leverage her global experience in finance and football to propel the game forward in Australia. So Rob looks an experienced appointment uh, right at the time when women's football in Australia needs it most. Cannot be squandering uh, they can't be squandering or we can't be squandering hosting a, a Women's World Cup. Can't be looking back in five years and saying we didn't make the most of that like we perhaps do with the 2015 Asian Cup. No, no fair call and credit where it's due. I don't think there's anyone underestimating the importance of this Women's World Cup coming up and uh, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, amongst, uh, you know, the critics uh, out there when uh, administration, whether it's at, uh, at the head office of Football Australia level or club level, um, ha- makes missteps. But uh, I think we're entitled and we do uh, to pay credit where it's due uh, when uh, when appointments such as this are made uh, to to uh, underpin the um, the legacy of, of the event in, in the long term, so uh, no, it all sounds uh, uh, right to me. And uh, and if um, if the, the appointments that are that are taking place, including this one, uh, are given free reign to to do what needs to be done, then um, then I think we can expect a, a very very strong legacy um, after after the World Cup next year. Heading overseas, Karim Benzema has moved into second place on Real Madrid's all time scoring. Chance. 
surpassing Raul with goal 3-2-4 in their UEFA Super Cup win over Eintracht Frankfurt. David Alaba opened the scoring on 34 minutes in Helsinki before Benzema's second half strike. He now trails only Cristiano Ronaldo, who's a fair way out in front on 450. Derek, there's a few people around Europe saying that Benzema's just about a Monty for the Ballon d'Or this year. He continues to just get better and better despite being 34, I think, now. And, of course, a big World Cup coming up too. He missed the 2018 one when they won it, so uh, he's still be hungry on the international front. Uh, where do you see him for the Ballon d'Or? Yeah, I think it's hard to argue against that. You might look at... Some players uh, in the Premier League, you might look at Robert Lewandowski in terms of what he managed to achieve for Bayern last season. But they did the the, the double last year. They won the league. Uh, they won the Champions League. Benzema was at the heart of both of those things. And, you know, the, Europe is the top table of football in many ways. And Ballon d'Or winners t- traditionally come from Europe. So, yeah, I mean, if I was going to put a bet on it, I would be putting it all on uh, Kerimi. Still a fabulous player. Dinamo Kiev remain a chance of joining Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League after a last-minute winner put them into the last qualifying round. They played Sturm Graz and they'll now play Benfica. Dinamo have played just four matches this season. They've all been in Europe, of course, due to their league having not started uh, yet. They're now one of 12 sides vying for the six remaining places. So Derek, of the other remaining matchups, a couple of notable ones, PSV Eindhoven will play Rangers. FC Copenhagen, uh, of course, the new club of Matt Ryan will meet Trabzonspor of Turkey and Bodo Glimt, who were the darlings of the new Conference League last season, uh, could be up in the Champions League. They have to get past Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, that PSV Rangers tie in particular uh, uh, sort of takes my interest there. Derek Rangers weren't great in their, their last qualifying round, but uh, still a chance under Gio Van Bronckhorst to return to the Champions League. Yes, and obviously they lost that first leg against Union Saint-Gilois 2-0. But I think with Rangers in the second leg at Ibrox under the lights is a bit of a cliche, but a bit like Celtic, a bit like Liverpool, they just tend to create these amazing atmospheres. And Rangers have done pretty well in uh, acquiring new players and some of those came to the fore in the game, including the lad that got the winner. So, you know, I don't think, P- I think PSV will be looking, you know, will be, Looking at that Rangers game with trepidation, I don't think anyone is want to go want to going to go to Ibrox to try and win a, a qualifying game. And yeah, we'll be interested to see how Rangers go. All of those qualifiers will be wrapped up across the next three weeks, and then we'll have the draw for the Champions League proper on August twenty five. Finally, the BBC have dropped their classified football results after seventy years, during which time just three people held the esteemed position as newsreader. John Webster, James Alexander-Gordon and Charlotte Green. Let's take a listen. Barclays Premier League, Manchester City 3, Sunderland 0. Swansea City 2, Reading 2. West Bromwich Albion 3, Queen's Park Rangers 2. Derek, an institution that reached far and wide across the world. I remember being a young boy on a uh, Sunday morning, it had come on the alarm clock radio, which was on all day and all night as I uh, grew up. And that was where the, the, the love of radio sort of started. I'm sure that uh, people right across the UK uh, grew up as well uh, with the words in particular of James Alexander Gordon. Certainly, it's the, the end of an era and anyone that particularly grew up in the UK for, you know, the last 50 years and even more, you know, this is an institution that's pre-internet. So if you wanted to find out the uh, the football scores, then, yeah, of course, you could listen to the radio, but there wasn't Sky Sports News, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't, you know, thousands of ways to check the football scores. This would be your way of uh, of finding out finding out what the results were. And it wasn't just the, the, the Premier League or the First Division, as it would have been called when they started. They went down every single league down the pyramid. And I think something was spoken about on the, short, the show, and I think why 
English football in particular holds a place in fans' hearts around the world is that there's this genuine pyramid structure that goes into Welsh leagues and Scottish leagues and English leagues and filters all the way up to the top. And yes, you can you can see some very evocative looking names as they go further on running through the scores in this kind of monotone uh delivery and yes i obviously don't watch it anymore but i'm very fond of it you know i don't want to sound like an old fogey but i I do think that some things you want to keep but it's one of those typical bbc institutions like the shipping forecast and a few other things that we're just going to be sad when they're gone for sure willem yeah you're 100 right there derek and um just even as we uh we go to air i'm I'm reading a headline in the times that says the bbc will not bring back radio five's classified football results despite hundreds of complaints Uh, so um sadly it does look like it's the end of the era i know like willem and um in australia hearing those scores uh at at odd hours uh, somehow or other it just got into your dna and I, i i attribute um hearing um that score service to 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 creating a, a layer of mystery on the other side of the world of these these clubs that you'd never heard of uh, but uh, but one day thought you know I'll know a little bit more about this and uh, and Derek growing up in in England itself as well and uh, you know we're like the the BBC figures Des Lyon and Mark Lawrence and Mark, Mike Ingham the, the Football Supporters Association chairman Malcolm Clark all criticizing the move um, it's just puzzling for the sake of a couple of minutes um it takes five to seven minutes to read uh, but it's um it's passing and um anyway uh, uh we'll, we'll watch this space hopefully there'll be a backflip at the 11th hour but um that may well be the end of an institution okay well boys uh, good start thank you um what we are going to talk about after the break is some local football um not uh, small clubs uh, insofar as the uh, the Australian landscape's concerned. Adelaide United, obviously, a, an A-League club with a, with a, a history, history of uh, success over their 15, 16 years. But prior to that, Adelaide City, a giant of the NSL, a classic South Australian derby is coming up next week in the Australia Cup. And we're going to talk to a man who is currently the chairman of City and former chairman of United, Greg Griffin, after the break. So stick around. That's next on box to box Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. We love the Australia Cup on this show, formerly, of course, the FFA Cup, and we love a cup set. And uh, and there's a cup set we've got in our radar coming up next week uh, when Adelaide United, the A-League club, take on one of the, the giants of the former NSL, their cross, well, not Crosstown rivals, their local town rivals, Adelaide City. And a man who knows both clubs as well as anybody, probably as well as the, the manager of uh, United who played for City, uh, Carl Viet, is Greg Griffin, the, the chairman of Adelaide City right now, and he, he joins us on box to box How are you, Greg? Well, thank you, Rob. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm doing super, Greg. Just uh, loving the, uh, the, the uh, Australia Cup. And uh, it, it is a huge week for, for the club uh, now that you're at City. Uh, not only the opportunity to host United uh, next Wednesday, but also the chance to wrap up the state premiership this Sunday. So safe to say it's all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck. Sunday's a really big game for us. Um, we want to uh, obviously play our best against Olympic, who are capable of beating any team on their day, make no mistake. Um, so... We're very we're we're not going in with anything other than uh, expectation of a battle to the end, Rob, and that then leads into Wednesday night, which um, is I think a game that many South Australian lovers of of football 
um, probably thinking they'd never see, which was a, a, a real game between Adelaide mm. United and Adelaide City. And I'm sure that we'll get um, a really good crowd into uh, uh, Fresh FM Park, as it's now mm. known. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll be their first ever yeah, it's exciting stuff, uh, and so and even a, a boutique stadium with a capacity, I think it's around five thousand. Uh, it it, it 5, has 000. more atmosphere, yeah, more atmosphere than uh, than than playing at, at say Adelaide Oval with with ten thousand there. So, uh, oh, mate, you've, you've had. Yeah, and and you've had that long association with both clubs, uh, uh, mm. Greg, and uh, you, you know what makes both tick. Um, they, they've uh, got a very proud record in the Australian both club, the Australian Cup. Um, so just just touch on something you've already referenced, uh, just what this clash does mean to South Australian football, because it certainly does have the eye of the entire football community in the country mm. on it this coming week. Well, it's really important, Rob, because I mean I've been a great advocate of the NPL for many years. And um, I first became really enamoured with the with the uh, NPL competition when um, when we negotiated the entry of Adelaide United Adelaide United first into um, the uh, State League One and then and then I think into no, no, I think we were always in NPL but we, I think we had you know various uh, very tight um, battles to stay up because of the fact that. You know, we can only play. We can only play kids, which you know, in many respects, made a lot of them. To be honest, because uh, they were playing against men, and they, and you thought you quickly sort the wheat from the chaff, as you know, with seventeen and eighteen-year-olds, who when they have to win a game to stay up, and you see, just you know, not only their technical skills, but their determination to win, which you know, basically every every football coach in the country wants to see from his players. So, so I've always had a very, very healthy respect for the NPL and since becoming the um, president of Adelaide City and assembling the team that we've put together at the moment under coach Paul Pezzol. I mean, I've, I've said, and I do not resolve from this, that um, the way that Adelaide City plays, I actually think that we can beat um, some A-League teams. Whether we're good enough on the night to beat Adelaide United, well, time will tell. But the one guarantee is that you'll get a very, very committed and um, gutsy effort from it. Greg, we often hear of the benefit to state league clubs that drawing an A league opposition brings. You get to bring a professional club into your uh, into your your home and host the match. But could you please take us just a little bit more uh, inside what that actually looks like? Is it financial benefit? Is it uh, is it national exposure? Prize money? How does it actually manifest itself away from the romance of what is obviously you know a beautiful story having the old NSL powerhouses against the new A league side? It depends which A league team you draw, Rob. Now, I mean, I don't think. Uh, Modbury did that well financially out of playing MacArthur because I don't think MacArthur was, you know, basically a crowd puller. Uh, but I was at home watching with Dan and my wife when the draw came on Adelaide United came up. We were just delighted because we knew that that would suddenly give us an opportunity for a great game for our fans and it also give us an opportunity to, uh, to make some money because it's really tough for an MPL club being in the Australia Cup. Um, I mean, basically, it's very hard not to lose money. If you play against another MPL team, uh, particularly from interstate, then, you know, the, the costs are all there, but the revenue isn't. Whereas playing, playing at Age United, the revenues are actually far in excess of what we'd ever get playing anyone else 
is to be blunt. And this is your third time on the national stage in this new incarnation of the Cup. So how important is it for City's growth to growth to keep qualifying uh, for the national stage year on year? Is it a focus uh, under Paul Pezos uh, and that you and the board would uh, would decide, or is it more seen as a bit of a byproduct of strong performances in the league? No. If you perform well there, then you get to then you get to partake. These games provide a great opportunity for us to showcase our club and our talented young players. And and I mean I've come out and said, we've got four or five players in that Adelaide City team who, in my view, are at A-League quality. And it, it's just, um, at times, I roll my eyes to heaven at why they're just not being recruited by other A-League clubs. Uh, and last year, I, you know, I said Assad and uh, Lockie Barr were, were walk-up A-League players. And they were both taken straight after we played Melbourne Victory. Uh, and I'm, you know, realistically hoping that the four or five players that we have, which in playing in a game would be watched by everybody, including every club in the A-League, that they actually say, well, yes, I'll take him and I'll certainly have a look at him because he can clearly play at the level that we require. And that's what we are. I mean, that's what we want. We want to get the best players in the state at Adelaide City. And what we have to be is the uh, easiest pathway from the NPL into an A-League club. So it's very important for us. And Greg, you mentioned last year that you did play Melbourne Victory and you were outspoken at the time and more than fair enough about the timing of that match. It was played in December, over two months after your season had finished. Uh, we're, we're seven or eight sort of uh, editions of the Cup in now and COVID has played its part, but it has been tough to find the sort of rightful place uh, of the Cup in the the, uh, the domestic schedule with the, the Winter State League and the uh, the National A-League over summer. Uh, are you more in favour of this current window? Do you think that provides a bit more of a, a, a sporting balance? Oh, look, last year was a joke. I mean, the FFA basically handed that game to Melbourne victory. And despite their attempt, I mean, we were incredibly unlucky not to win it. I mean, but we were two months out of season and, and they were in season. I mean, the whole thing about the cup to give the NPL clubs, and I was involved in the setup of this when I was the chairman of Adelaide United, was so that the NPL clubs actually did catch the A-League clubs whilst they were in early pre-season, and whereas the NPL clubs were playing um, towards the end of their season, and 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 that's what that's what built the, as you call them the cup set, and and suddenly the 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 force Adelaide City last year to train for an extra two months to give Melbourne Victory a chance, you know, to leave Victoria, was an absolute joke. And I, and, and I still say that's a very tarnished cup win for them. And um, and I'd make no apologies for that. But, you know, I'm pleased that they've actually now realised just what a fast that was. And it's much fairer now. It sure is, uh, Greg. And uh, I guess what would be uh, fair about domestic football in this country would be if we had a promotion and relegation system. Uh, you know, do you want to wade into that? Uh, it seems like the the national second division is back on the radar. Uh, what are your thoughts on that as a club? And um, and you know, if you were to make a prediction, how far away do you think that might be? I think the B division without promo relegation is a bit like dancing with your sister. It's not going anywhere. And um, mm-hmm. Look, I admire the efforts of Nick Gallagher and his team to put together um, the framework and the structure with uh, James Johnson off the B-League. But at the end of the day, um, the B-League has to have an avenue into the A-League. And um, if it doesn't, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for those clubs in the B-League to survive. 
Yeah, and uh, and especially given the uh, the expectations of FIFA, who who made it very clear that um, that we are on a on a timeline to uh, a deadline even uh, for promotion. No, well, that's, well, that's not right in terms of promo relegation. There's, mm. there's a decision of the Court of Arbitration of Sport, uh, which says that the two nations in the world, the two FIFA nations in the world that do not have to impose uh, promo relegation into their uh, first division or their first league is the United States and Australia. So theoretically, uh, there may never be primary relegation in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm grateful that you clarified that point. But uh, I mean, anyone who follows football in this country, of course, would know that. Um, but that to to, to to not have an agenda for promotion and relegation and some ambition uh, renders the the whole structure of, of football in in this uh, this country compromised. But it's, you, you're right. I mean, it's just not helpful. Um, and I can. I mean, having worn the shoe on the other foot, I will understand the investments that every A League club. Uh, owner wants to protect, which is in some cases $50, $60 million worth of investment. Um, but uh, you, you look at the EPL clubs, I mean, they've got a billion dollars worth of value. Mm. And every start of every season, they're at risk. They could they could be in the championship if they're not good enough. So yep. it, it's, it's a, it is the vexed issue in Australian football. Yeah, 100% it is. And I think uh, um, it's almost like the Israel-Palestine issue, isn't it, Greg? We could talk about it for a long time, but we're not sure whether we'll ever work out a solution to it, mate. But I, I think uh, it's politically well, safer to, to use the analogy of the weather, but anyway. Uh, yeah, it is. I, I think everybody <laughs> takes the spirit in which my comment was intended. Uh, Greg, <laughs> what I will say, though, is good luck um, this coming week for, for City, um, unless, of course, you're a fan of the Reds, uh, then, uh, then every other non-partisan fan would love to see that, uh, well, I'll use it for the third time in this discussion, that cup set coming up next week. It'll be fantastic to see a quarterfinal well, match. Well, with thank that. you for your, yeah. your kind thoughts. And uh, and all I can hope is that those who come along to the game, and I hope it's a packed house, walk away thinking this is a great, uh, they've seen a great game of two very good South Australian clubs. If yeah, everyone exactly. walks away with that, then both teams have done their job. Yeah, well, hopefully we get to see that, Greg. Hey, Greg, look, thank you for, very much I for your time. That. We're really grateful for, for, for your uh, for your time and uh, and you know that that experience across both clubs. And as a as a as a uh, South Australian who, who gets it, um, mate, it's been fantastic fantastic talking to you. Any time, Rob. Okay. Excellent, Chairman of Adelaide City, former Chairman of Adelaide United, Greg Griffin, ahead of the Australia Cup derby this coming Wednesday between Adelaide United and City. Okay, stick around. Next on Box to Box, we're going to get into the Socceroos and Matildas, what's happening with our men and women across the world after the break. Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Now, uh, before we get stuck into the Socceroos and Matilda's news, uh, I want to tell you about our friends at Chemist Warehouse, of course. Stock up and save at Chemist Warehouse right now. There is Bondi Protein Coast Slim Blend, one kilogram assorted variants for thirty-four ninety-nine. Yes, thank you, Willem. I love my harmony singers and Come fat plus weight loss bup, bup. shake variety pack. Fourteen sachets for twenty-three oh nine. 
at Chemist uh, Warehouse. Uh, oh, well done, Derek. I love the accent too. You'll also find Wagner Triple Strength Omega 3 Fish Oil, 150 capsules for 1899. I know I use them every single day. They help with my weary joints. Thank you. Microgenics Immune Support, 120 capsules for 1429. And go healthy if you need that magnesium to help you sleep, 60 capsules for just $19.49. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings, boys. Or every single day. And with a little one in your house, Derek, I'm sure you're down at Chemist Warehouse all the time. Absolutely. She goes to daycare twice a week and, you know, yeah, we just rotate between the different diseases, whether it's gastro or whether it's hand, foot and mouth or whether it's just a sniffly nose, we're always at Chemist Warehouse. Exactly. And Willem's always getting his protein and uh, all the gear that you need for a, a bustling young buck like yourself. Yeah, it's time to shred for summer, Rob. The uh, the weather's turned. Starting to think about springtime and hitting the tan uh, again. So, yeah, absolutely. Chemist Warehouse each and every day. Well done. Okay, well, I'm so... Uh, okay, what are you going to start us off with uh, this week? I mean, the clock is ticking. Uh, those uh, those matches against uh, Canada for the Matildas and New Zealand for uh, uh, the Socceroos ahead of the World Cup are, uh, are only weeks away. Yeah, just before we get there, I want to give the uh, the junior Matildas their time in the sun again, Rob. You did mention them in the first uh, edition news. But as we know, they did defeat Vietnam in the final to win the uh, under-18 AFF Championship. Ray Dower is the coach, the manager, and she's been great to us uh, on this program down the years. And I thought we'd just take a bit of a listen to what she had to say uh, at the airport on arriving home. I'm just absolutely so proud of the whole group, all the playing group, all the staff, and just a, a really great tournament and, and a great victory uh, with the little trophy here. I think the one thing that stands out is that there's some phenomenal athletes in there, but we've actually got some really great footballers as well. The legacy is wonderful. The, the timing couldn't be any better with you know, the World Cup on our shores next year. I have no doubt that there'll be a number of these players that will go on to play senior international football one day, and, uh, and I'm just really, really excited to see where the future of women's football in Australia uh, can lead. Positive stuff there from Ray, and I think we all share in her enthusiasm for the future when we see, uh, when we see under Ray results such as this. Uh, to the senior men, Socceroos skipper Matt Ryan has joined Danish Super League at Champions Copenhagen on a two-year deal. He'll hopefully play a hell of a lot more there than he was at Real Sociedad. So Rob, uh, that is a crucial plank in place. Aaron Moyes found a club. He's going to get some regular football uh, and Matt Ryan, he throughout his career has always demonstrated that uh, he he's modest to the extent that when he's not playing he'll always uh, acknowledge, okay, this isn't working and I'm going to go and be proactive and find another club. And it's worked for him in the past uh, and he He's done it again here. So, as I said, an important plank ahead of the World Cup. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, in, in preparing for our, our next discussion with Andy Naylor, uh, I'd sort of had it in my mind that there were only good memories of uh, of, of uh, Matty Ryan from his time at, at Brighton as a fan favourite and, uh, uh, and found that uh, some of his remarks, uh, which he, I think, interprets as being positive about his future, uh, can sometimes be a backhanded insult to the club that he's just left. So, you know, when he turned up at Arsenal, he had uh, sort of grand designs obviously on uh, on taking the number one spot it didn't last very long and he made some comments uh, uh, about um, the fact that or he'd seen Brighton as a stepping stone and uh, and that didn't go down well with the Brighton fans uh, at the time so um, I think Matty's learned a little bit more about diplomacy since then um, because uh, you know he, he's a, a thoroughly decent guy I, I don't really interpret him and, and we all saw it after um, uh, the Andrew Redmayne heroics against Peru um, that uh, that he came off with 
class and uh, with a cool demeanor. And we only found out afterwards that he didn't know anything about what was going on. So uh, great um, that he's headed off to uh, to Copenhagen. And we see lots of good things coming out of Danish football these days. So, um, so if he just polishes the, the edges of his uh, skills heading into Qatar, then that can only be a good thing for the green and gold. On the pitch, the week undoubtedly belonged to Martin Boyle, who marked his Hibs return with a 95th minute equaliser in the Edinburgh Derby. Spending seven months in Saudi Arabia, set uh, him and his family up as he was quite sort of public in saying, and now back in front of the crowd that love him so dearly at Easter Road. So that's great news there and wearing the new uh, number 77. Staying in Scotland, unfortunately, as his bait to start with Dundee has stalled. He can't get a work permit, but the manager has spoken of how keen he is to have him involved. So hopefully uh, a little bit of patience there and all will be up and running. Mark Birrigidi made his second start in a loss to Livingston. Another comfortable win for Ange Postacoglu and Celtic, 3-1 over Ross County, but not so for Kevin Musket at Ange's former club, Yokohama. Uh, we know that they're right, or they are leading uh, the J-League, and this was a bit of a six-pointer against Kawasaki, uh, and it was a 99th-minute goal to Kawasaki that saw them drop all three. So that's a bit of a shame, but on they will go. Finally, Adam Taggart was on the score sheet for Saruzo Osaka for the fourth time in three league matches, as was Mitch Duke with Okayama in the J-2, and Trent Sainsbury scored on debut for new Qatari side al in their 4-2 win over Al Duhail. We'll move on to the Australia Cup results. Sydney FC and MacArthur have become the first sides to book their place in the quarterfinals. They defeated Bentley Greens and Modbury Jets, respectively. Bentley, though, has the better of the first half at Kingston Heath and could consider themselves unlucky, I thought, to be two goals down with 20 to play before Adjacked Riak pulled one back and ensured a tense finish. Let's listen back to Michael Zapponi, who I think is possibly the uh, the biggest fan of the cup set in the country. Corey Sewell. Can Sewell find the delivery? He can't, but he has another chance. Makes some space, then sends it into the reactor. Here we go. And there it is. They get one back. Ajak Riak. A lifeline for Bentley. The hero. Wasn't to be. They can be proud of their efforts. Uh, should mention Adrian Segacic and Aaron Gerd were on the score sheet for Sydney FC. Uh, and for the Bulls, Rob, there's been certainly some uh, some criticism, scepticism about the appointment of Dwight York as manager, having actually managed anywhere uh, outside of the A-League All-Stars. But they've hit 10 to start, uh, six in their first match, four in their second, this time through as Santore, Charles Umomboa, and two to Lockie Rose. So certainly a one of the Bulls' early days. Well, I think this is probably more one for Derek. I mean, um, you watched a lot of uh, All Night Dwight um, in, in the Premier League before he came to Australia. I mean, uh, his, uh, his first effort at coaching, we've seen a few players, Robbie Fowler included, uh, have some success, but, uh, but not great success. Terry Butcher in the early days of Sydney FC. I mean, what's your interpretation of, of Dwight York and expectations of, uh, of how a guy like him could, uh, uh, you know, maybe be getting his, his, his uh, grounding in, in, a, in the A-League. I think it's an interesting one. He's not a player that I would have put down as, you know, earmarks for a successful managing career. And I'll, you know, put my cards on the table. And, you know, he's obviously a kind of a flamboyant striker. Uh, seemed to not take life or sometimes the game too seriously either. So um, there was a little bit of that to it too. You, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't maybe picture him sort of on the, you know, the training paddock, putting the cones out and watching the um, the players go through their paces. And of course, he's an untried quantity here in Australia. But it doesn't mean that he can't bring a lot to the game. Obviously, he's a Champions League winner, a Premier League winner. He's obviously got amazing status in the game, can bring players in. And ultimately, I'll, you know, let's call it out, um, Dwight's black and black managers uh, tend to not get 
the run and they don't tend to get the job interviews we know it's a problem endemic in our game and i'm i'm happy to see uh, dwight as a as a you know as a black man and as a black manager come into our game and look to put his uh, his footprint on it so i think all the best to him and it's interesting to see how it'll go well said derek and yeah certainly not too hard to foresee them lifting and dwight lifting the uh, the australia cup within a couple of months time with the way they're playing uh, a couple of matches to look out for this weekend sydney united in their fifth shot at the last 16 they've never been further than this uh, hosting western united uh, and peninsula power will play green gully uh paramount plus we've handed out as you say rob the brickbats time and again for them on this program over the past year but they've announced the release of sky blue inside sydney fc the four-part series is going to chart the performance of both the men's and women's side last season. Uh, and as a victory fan, I think I'll enjoy watching that one with the other uh, men not going too well at all. All four episodes are going to come out on September 30. Uh, Derek, this is very much part of the broader sort of framework of sports fandom. Uh, at the minute, have you had a chance to tuck into all or nothing Gooners as yet? Uh, no, I haven't, uh, Willem. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to watch all or nothing Gooners. Uh, as you guys know, I'm a bit of a quirky character i've got kind of a funny way about how what, what i like and what i don't like and and to be honest with you while i've been a fan of the likes of sunland till i die which i thought was the true authentic insight into a football team i'm i'm, I'm not uh that interested in anything which is a kind of puff piece pr even if there are some interesting nuggets in it and there is just something even when it's with my own team i just don't see I just don't see the interest in it when I know that it's kind of been carefully curated um, and it's just not going to have the same kind of uh, power or that um, earthy kind of feel as as Sunland to our die or even the, the Chicago Bulls uh, which we know was a you know a PR exercise for um, Jordan but it but it relied on you know, hundreds and, and if not thousands of hours of unseen material on an iconic era. I think, a, you know, a mediocre season for Arsenal in the Premier League where they finished fifth. I don't see a lot of jeopardy in that, to be honest. So, no, I won't be watching. Is that something of a, a common criticism? I, I can't say I've watched it and I haven't watched the uh, the Tottenham one either. I, I tend to want to watch these things but not find the time. Uh, is that a criticism around the, uh, the the Amazon products that they may be a little bit glossy and a little bit curated? Yeah, no, that that is it and you'll be surprised to hear that uh, I haven't watched the Spurs one either. Uh, for, for a, well, I thought you for might a, enjoyed for... that because that was sort of yeah. you know, dark days under Mourinho. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I just, I just, um, I'm, you know, problem is, well, I'm getting a bit older. I'm getting a bit cynical, and um, I've got a very kind of fixed view of what it is to support my team and um, and what I want to consume. And yeah, I just, I just don't think I'm interested. And, and yeah, I think it is to do with the fact that it, you know, the clubs aren't letting stuff out that they that they didn't want, you know, published to a degree. There's not going to be some huge scandal in there. Whereas. With the Sunderland one, you know that was just the fluke of the century. I don't even think the video, the videographers that were given that access into Sunderland as they plummeted into the Championship and then subsequently plummeted into League One, they were meant to rebound back up, and it was meant to be a bit of a celebration video. But they then had problems with players. They had problem with uh, um, with the manager, the managers coming in and out. They swapped ownership. And it just had this kind of earthy feel to it. They were kind of interviewing cab drivers and tea ladies and super fans. And, yeah, I just think with, like, a white, clean Premier League franchise like Arsenal, I just have my doubts that there's going to be anything compelling. And they remember I am in the TV industry too. So I'm also very discerning about what I watch and what I don't watch. So it will probably 
be a surprise to people that know me and as, as a huge Arsenal fan, I've got signed photos on the wall behind me, signed shirts on the wall behind me, a season kick, ticket holder for over 15 years. But yeah, I'm just not interested in this show at all. Fair call. Rob, uh, Andy Naylor not far away, but I just want to squeeze this one in. Sydney Swans legend Adam Goods has joined the newly formed Indigenous Football Australia Advisory Board. This is not linked to Football Australia, but it is linked and he's going to oversee uh, the widely lauded John Moriarty program. Goods has often declared his passion for football since retiring from the AFL. He's a big man, new uh, fan and, and played it before a, a family move in his sort of uh, early teenage years, uh, moved him towards uh, Aussie rules football. He presently plays for the over 35s uh, with Waverley Old Boys. Uh, and as a member of this council, he's going to direct his attention towards uh, the development of young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island uh, children as people and into footballers as well. Other members on the board include Craig Foster, Danny Townsend, Stan Grant, Jada Wyman and Alira Toby. Yeah, look, um, it was a great story. Uh, I think any Australian sports fan uh, uh, will be pleased to see that, um, that Adam Goods is, uh, is is entering back in the public life. I, I don't think as a football show we should uh, take the opportunity to to have a crack at, um, at an alternate code. Um, they'll be able to uh, work through you know the issues that were created around the the departure of Adam Goods, the booing saga, which we're all well and truly familiar with. But to to see photos of Adam Goods with a smile on his face, uh, um, alongside a John Moriarty football scholarship holder um, at, at one of his recent games, and just enjoying getting out there and playing sport again, and, and reflecting on his love for uh, for the world game, and and I, it wasn't lost on me. Uh, that he he very clearly refers to football as football um, in in his quotes in this article. So um, it's a, it's a wonderful story for, for Adam Goods to 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 be getting back into the public spotlight, and um, and if football can be seen as uh, uh, the the launch pad for that, and um, and help him to inspire uh, Indigenous players uh, around the country, boys and girls, uh, uh, as as he says, for tangible, equitable, and lasting change. Uh, um, uh, to quote. Um, uh, Moriarty, then um, I, I think that can only be a good thing. John Moriarty is a, an absolute legend uh, uh, of, uh, of Indigenous football as well as uh, as, um, as mainstream football, famously selected to play for the Socceroos, would have been the, the first uh, Indigenous player to play but never got the opportunity. So, yeah, good good story to wrap that up. Well, and we'll just uh, credit Vince Regari in the Sydney Morning Herald who, uh, who put it together. Yeah, as we do, Vince writing some, some great stuff and, uh, and thanks uh, for bringing that uh, story to our attention, Vince. Okay, we We've mentioned Andy Naylor already from The Athletic. Uh, wouldn't be a box-to-box episode if we didn't have somebody from The Athletic on. Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion sort of uh, turned up at Old Trafford and spoiled the script. It wasn't the script that uh, Eric Ten Hag had, but it certainly was the script that the uh, the Seagulls did, and uh, they got the result. Uh, is there uh, an exciting season ahead? Well, we'll find out from Andy next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. The Eric Ten Hag era at Manchester United has promised a lot since the former Ajax manager arrived, but that didn't account for the plotting of the Brighton and Hove Albion manager, Graham Potter, who successfully steered a side without two of their best players from the previous season to a first ever away win at Old Trafford in the opening round of the season. To talk us through how the Seagulls did it and their ambitions for the season ahead, we're joined by the Athletics man on the beachside beat, Andy Naylor. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Glad to be on again. So, Andy, I guess I sort of 
tried to, to sum it up there that, uh, you know, Old Trafford would have been heaving with uh, fans of the Red Devils expecting that Eric Ten Hag was going to take him to the promised land again. Uh, but they really didn't expect somebody to turn up with a different script and actually to, to ex- execute the script. I mean, as somebody who watches... Uh, Brighton, who really had a, a relegation battle on their hands for a lot of last season. Did, did you expect to see something not only as competitive as that, but for them to hold on and, and get the result in the end? Um, I'm surprised they won, if I'm being honest, uh, to go to Old Trafford on the opening day. Like you say, uh, new manager there, the level of expectation. But I'm not really that surprised by the way they performed and the way they approached the task. This has been evolving at Brighton under Graham Potter. We saw them at the last season, you know, end up in ninth. They broke all sorts of club records uh, to, to reach that mark. Highest finish, highest points tally. I can go on and on. So so this has been building. They've, they've been developing. Players getting to know more and more. Graham Potter's very sort of flexible and fluid philosophy. And they just looked like a team. What was quite interesting was there was no new signings in the starting lineup. We only had two new players came on right at the end, Dennis Undav and uh, uh, Levy Colwell, who was only just signed from Chelsea on loan. So these are players who, a lot of them, some of them at least, some of the foreign players, still sort of relatively young in Premier League terms, but they looked like a team that really knew what they were doing, knew exactly what they were doing, knew what the game plan was, and they executed it really well. And of course, Danny Welbeck up front, you, you know, not a new signing, a player that I think every time he's on the pitch, I think everyone just sees it as a minor miracle giving his um, injury record. But he caused his former club all sorts of problems up, up the top there. What impact does a player like him have uh, on this side? And is he someone that Albion can look to as the season goes on? I think they certainly can this season. He was excellent, as you indicated, leading the line. And um, the the key thing for Danny is he's had an injury-free end of last season. He had a hamstring surgery, had a problem that kept him out September to December. Then he played in more or less every game in the latter, latter part of the season. We saw then, once he had a real run of games, injury-free, what he could do. And that's continued. He had a really strong pre-season. Uh, only Lewis Dunk, the captain, played more minutes during pre-season than him. So he's, he's, he's hit the ground running, as it were, going into the season. And that's the key with Danny. And then you saw what he, what he can produce when he's in that kind of health. And, I'm, and he's also got that, the experience influence as well um which brighton they're essentially a young team with a lot of young uh, developing players but they have got experience entwined within that and it was really interesting that graham potter used adam lalana danny's former england teammate just behind danny in a more advanced role than we might have anticipated when we saw the team sheet and that worked really well it was at times it was adam kind of leading the press closing United down, particularly in the first half when they had the ball at the back. So I, 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 I'm, I'm fully expecting that we'll see an influential season from Danny if he can stay fit. Another player who might have an influential season is the uh, the goalkeeper. He pulled off a remarkable save in the game. And you're talking to, a you know, primarily an Australian audience here, yeah. uh, Andy. We, 
we know and love Matty Ryan. We were a bit kind of bemused at the, him not continuing for the Seagulls and we were wondering about Sanchez coming in and what is it that he offers that's different or better to to, to Ryan? I mean, do you want to answer that question? What What is it that he brings to this team um, that, that gives them that solidity at the back? Well, first of all, I'm interested to see that uh, Matty's moved on again. Um, he's at Copenhagen now, I believe, which is, by my reckoning, a third different country and a third different top flight club in a very short space of time. I really wish him all the best. Good guy, Matty. I had the opportunity to speak to him uh, um, at length uh, earlier this summer. Um, Rob is a really big prospect. We've got to remember he's still only, what is it, 24. He's already forced his way into the Spain squad. And obviously there's a lot of competition for places uh, in Spain. His, um, we saw some of his attributes at Old Trafford with the say, I mean, uh, whether the goal would have counted with the offside decision with Rashford or not. Um, there was the controversy really with United's goal from the corner. Was he impeded? You have to accept that at his age and his stage of development, there will be the odd mistake. And we have seen that from Rob. But what he brings more than compensates for that. And one of the things he brings is what we saw again at Old Trafford on, on Sunday. Um, Brighton mixed it up a lot. Um, they, they played out from the back. I mean, their two goals were two really fine goals, uh, well-crafted. But they also went long at times. And Rob is really good at that. When when he distributes long, it's not just a punt. It's not just an aimless kick up field. He actually has the capability to pick out a player. We saw that against Manchester United last season with with what I thought was Brighton's finest goal of the season, scored by Pascal Gross. An incredible move. But that all started with Rob coming outside his area, hitting a long diagonal straight to the feet of Mark Cucurella. But he's also got that capacity to make big key saves. Um, I, I just think, you know, Matty, for me, I didn't have any problem with Matty when he was at Brighton. He did he did a good job. But Graham Potter and, and the staff saw in Rob um, a real bright star for the future. And I think on what we've seen so far, he's justified that, that faith. I think it must be frustrating for Brighton fans that a lot of the rhetoric after the game wasn't how great were Brighton but how bad were Manchester United so we're even being careful in this interview not to try and switch it that far but if I could frame a question this way you know United are being criticized at the moment for being one of the most badly run clubs in the Premier League you know you know spending good money after bad on players that aren't appropriate to the to the side um, uh, sort of haphazard decisions upstairs. What could Manchester United learn from the way that that Brighton is run? Uh, you know, from from the ground up. To be frank with you, I think they could learn quite a lot uh, in the way Brighton are structured. I I, th- I think they're a good role model, not just for Manchester United, but for a lot of clubs in the way they do things. Very smart recruitment. They know they can't compete with the big clubs financially. So they have to find other ways of getting an edge. And one of the ways they do that is by recruiting relatively um, cheap players. Young tend to be more often than not young players and developing them, developing them through through Graham Potter's coaching skills, turning them into better players. 
one of the things Graham does um, is he takes players out of their comfort zone. So they may might regard themselves as a central midfielder or a right back, where whatever it might be. If you look through that Brighton squad now, there are players almost without exception who have played in multiple positions. Now that happens game to game and sometimes during a game. Leandro Trossard is a good example of that Belgian international. He, he's, he's played at left wing back. He's popped up at right wing back once or twice. He plays anywhere in the sort of forward areas across the line. He's been a false nine, left, right. He's just one of many examples of Graham's really fluid style. But it just seems to me with United, you can you can kind of see the plan with Brighton. You can see see what they tried to achieve in, in terms of developing players. They've got the academy, so they're trying to produce their own players. They then buy in, um, like I say, young players who they spot a potential from different markets and develop them. And then at the top end, you, you've got the sort of ready-made players. Um, but like I say, they cannot compete financially at that kind of level with the big clubs. But you can see what you're doing. United, some, they just look a bit of a mess at the moment. I think you've got to give the new man time. You know, you can't judge it on on one game at the start of the season. But I looked. you, you looked at the teams, you look at the team sheet. And anybody who really knows Brighton, if you if you chose a combined team, you picked the best eleven from those two elevens that started on Sunday. I'd go for a lot of Brighton players in a lot of cases, which possibly says a lot about where Man United, how far Man United have fallen at the moment. Just one quick last one from me on the season. It's obviously this strange season with the World Cup coming up, and we're going to have sixteen games and then a break, and then we come back for the the remaining 22. How do you think Brighton will go with that? I mean, I think on the surface you could, you know, with respect say they don't have, you know, all those international players that some of the other teams will need to worry about. Obviously, um, um, you know, Trossard, you mentioned, will, will likely go with Belgium. But do you think that, that this actually plays into Brighton's hands that they can basically take, most of the squad can take a month off, enjoy watching the World Cup on their sofas and then come back fully refreshed and charged up or is there something else that might go on there? Well, I, th I think in a way it's the opposite and perhaps an indication of the club's progress because they could have as many as eight or nine. Ah, OK. World Cup. Um, you've mentioned Trossard, obviously the Sanchez. Now, they're, they're not necessarily, for example, in Sanchez's case, he might not get that much game time. But he'll be there for, with Spain for sure. You've got Trossard. You've got two players for Ecuador. Moises Caicedo. Yeah. Goodness me. Don't forget this young lad. He is a star in the making. He ran the midfield in the first half at Old Trafford. He's 20 years of age. He's only just come into the Brighton team. He's played nine games. You look at the results they've had in those nine games. I'm not suggesting it's all down to him. But within those nine games, they've beaten United twice. They won at Arsenal and Tottenham back-to-back. -back. They beat West Ham at home end of last season. He is a really, really bright prospect. And he's been playing high-level games for Ecuador. He's, he's a mainstay of their team. South American qualification. They drew with Argentina, drew with Brazil, beat Uruguay. So watch out for him in Qatar. And he's got a teammate, a Brighton teammate, Jeremy Sarmiento. 
Another bright young prospect attacking player they signed from Benfica last summer. He was fast-tracked, got a hamstring injury 13 minutes into his full-league debut at West Ham, which was really unfortunate. But we'll see him as part of the World Cup. Tarek Lamptey, the young right-back, former Chelsea, he switched nationalities to Ghana from England. He was in England under-21. So I'm, so I'm sure we'll see him at the World Cup. Kaoru Toma, Japanese winger, who they signed last summer, loaned out to Union Saint-Gilwar in Belgium, which is the club that Brighton's owner-chairman, Tony Bloom, co-owns. So there's been quite a lot of business between the two clubs. He'll, he'll definitely be at the World Cup. So Brighton have got far more players at the World Cup than you might expect of a club of their size. I suspect a lot more than a lot of other bigger clubs in the Premier League. Mm. That may or may not present them with a problem. Um, depends how much game time these players get, how long they're in the tournament, if there's any kind of come down from, from playing in a World Cup mid-season. But I think they'll be able to cope with it because what they've developed is a squad where you... There's not really a first eleven as such. You've got a squad of players of pretty similar ability where if you picked a what you might see as a first eleven against a reserve eleven, there wouldn't be that much to choose between them. So I think they'll be able to cope for it, but watch out for some Brighton names in some um, unheralded countries uh, in Qatar in November and December. And for all the Australian fans, uh, it's just a pity that uh, two of those names aren't um, wearing the gold of the Socceroos, uh, Matty Ryan, as Derek referenced earlier on, and and another former uh, um, favourite um, down at uh, the Amex, Aaron Moy. But, uh, mate, you've got Newcastle, although Seagulls have got Newcastle this weekend. And speaking of Seagulls, uh, nobody can ever accuse you of not being committed, Andy, because uh, I assume from the background noise uh, a moment or two ago <laughs> that you're actually doing this interview from Brighton Beach. So thank you for that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, mate, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, uh, and, uh, mate, we'll just watch Brighton with interest. We, we love watching uh, the, the clubs who are uh, consigned, according to the to the, the bigger clubs, to uh, to just fight for their right to be in the in the top flight, let alone to actually go ahead and beat some of these teams. So um, anyone who doesn't have a, an affiliation to one of the big clubs likes to see um, the smaller clubs um, punching uh, what's above their perceived weight, mate. So uh, uh, so we'll continue to watch on and, uh, and hopefully get you back on again uh, later in the season. It would be a pleasure. Good to speak to you again. Excellent. Andy Naylor from The Athletic, always generous with his time. Okay, stick around. Lots more European talk after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Love chatting with Andy. What a, a, a legitimate football man he is. Uh, you just have to listen to him. And uh, and and wasn't it fantastic that he just brought the Seagulls in right on cue there as well? This is stoppage time. We've got plenty more to get through. Uh, Michael, you're listening out there, I'm sure, in Bangkok before you head home. You're only going to be home for a little while. But um, I think this is a little preview of Box to Box uh, in the months ahead because it just got uh, a fair dink of, well, 
several uh, 747 loads full of fans he's going to take to Qatar, including young Willem van Denderen. Uh, so uh, Derek and I might be uh, hosting one or two more shows uh, as we go forward. And we'll only be doing that because we've got great sponsors like our friends at Chemist Warehouse and our good mates at Hoyt's Food, of course. We love cooking and eating on this show, and our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices, Johnny Accardo, the great man himself, they're always on hand for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and change the mood of your food. So what better way during the cold weather than getting into the kitchen over the weekend and cooking while you're watching the football? Now, Derek, you are a curry connoisseur, aren't you? I am in many many levels, yeah, Rob, and I do make a lot of my own. So when you make them, uh, I'm going to ask you, do you use coriander, cumin, turmeric, ginger, dry mustard, black pepper, cinnamon, cardamom, cayenne pepper, ground chilies? Yeah, you missed up garam masala as well there, Rob. That is a big one that you need. But I tend to use a smattering of all of those, and I make my own paste uh, before I put my meat in and put in my, my coconut milk and everything else. But, yeah, you need... Good curry needs at least four or five of those spices to really get it going. Maybe a bit of chilli there as well. Exactly. And and it's always a heap better when you make it yourself, isn't it, mate? And, and that's what I'm trying to say here is that if you love a curry, it's really not that hard. You just got to get the sachets from Coles or Woolworths. Don't tell, ever, don't tell everyone, Rob. I'm, I'm going to tell people I'm a pro at this. But if you just <laughs> tell them it's as easy as chucking some some onions and some garlic in and a few Hoyt, Hoyt spices and you're basically away, then the mystique of my curry is going to be gone very quickly. Mm, okay, well, just um, uh, press pause on that and um, and don't tell all your family and friends, Del, because um, they're going to find out your secret very, very soon. And Willem, you love your curries as well? Yeah, no, similarly, my curries were pretty average until about a month ago when Hoyt's Herbs and Spices came on board and now the uh, the secret's been unlocked for me as well. So, no, things are, things are tracking well. In the uh, curry department. Well done. So if you're out there and you're listening, you want to make a good curry at home, an authentic curry, get into Hoyt's. Get the Hoyt's value packs. You will be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. So fill those empties with Hoyt's. Okay, boys. Uh, Derek, um, why don't you bring us home um, and navigate this ship into... Yeah, we want to talk about a few different leagues. We'll talk about the weekend that's gone first. Of course, we touched on the result in the Premier League that... Um, raised um, a lot of eyebrows, which was the Brighton 2-0 win over Manchester United. What raised even more eyebrows was the names that were coming up in the post-match to the aftermath in terms of who Manchester United might be signing. There was uh, Marco Anatovic, who, you know, I had to change my notes for this show because apparently he was coming, but, you know, such was the visceral reaction to this signing that Anatovic, of course, people will remember from... West Ham, Stoke certainly, he was in China for a while, he turned up at Bologna um, and suddenly at 33, 34 years old, he was going to come and rescue Manchester United, there was a lot of ridicule, Um, I think uh, Chris Sutton on the BBC website called it a PR disaster, thought it was fake news but I think they've listened and they've uh, decided not to go for that signing but one that is going on is uh, Adrian Rabio, and he's going to come in from Juventus. And uh, you know, just when you you know you're thinking about clearing out your squad of all the non-team player troublemakers like Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, and Fernandez, and some of the others, why don't we just chuck in Rabio as well? He's known for his enormous temper tantrums and an infamous um, agent as well, who also happens to be his mum, who always, of course, puts 
Adrian's priorities above uh, everyone else, including the club that he plays for. So I think there'll be a lot of Manchester United fans rolling their eyeballs at, at this. Rob, as a Liverpool fan, they're the old enemy. Are you taking some glee in what can only be described as a kind of clown car that is Manchester United at the moment? <laughs> I love your turn of phrase at the best of times, Derek. And and I'd be lying if I, I didn't say yes, because, you know, we all love to wind up our mates um, when they follow a club that's um, that's having tough times, especially after, you know, they've been beaten by a team that... Um, that has never beaten them before at Old Trafford in the opening round of the season. But I, I just guess this takes a little bit of luster off Eric Ten Hag because he, he, he's really so far uh, appeared to do nothing wrong. But when you hear those sorts of names thrown up, you can only sort of wonder uh, where they came from. And when you're wondering, you, you do think that it's the manager because, you know, I mean, he's had everything go his way. He's even had the... Uh, um, the uh, the dugout moved closer to the Stratford Road end, um, for God's sake. So he's had everything he wanted. So I can't imagine those names came up without some authority. And someone, nobody's just made them up. So uh, uh, that's the thing that puzzles me most is that um, that uh, uh, when uh, when they they come off one one bad result to to start the season, that we're hearing names like that uh, um, thrown about. It, it's just you, yeah, you said it, mate. Um, it uh, it's comic relief at best. At the same time, Derek, though, he's rolled out there in round one with uh, Scott McTominay and Fred, who are the two guys who haven't cut the mustard previously. So is maybe the Rabio signing uh, an admission that they can't get Frankie de Jong, but that they still need uh, an overhaul? Yeah, um, yeah, they did go with McFred again, and I think that is the uh, the battle of Manchester United fans. Uh, they're used to Skulls, uh, Roy Keane, and other players playing in that position in uh, years gone by, even Michael Carrick uh, more recently. But... That is that is definitely seen as a substandard engine room. Is Rabio an up, upgrade? Yeah, probably. I think probably the point is that he just brings a brings a lot of baggage with him. Is it an admission that they're not going to get De Jong done? Yeah, probably. And although the reports are that it might be a case of, you know, they want to sign De Jong still anyway. We'll get on to you know, another fiasco, Barcelona, probably later on in this stoppage time. But that deal doesn't look any closer either. And where they really needed strengthening, that Martinez at the back, he didn't seem to uh, help stem the the flow of goals. We were, you know, they would have been hoping that Ma- uh, Maguire would have, you know, clean slate uh, slate with a clean start to the season. But again, he looked vulnerable at the back. So central midfield, centre back, and and up front as well. It sort of looked like they were lacking options. And of course, they brought Ronaldo on. Um, you know, he's kind of half out the door and we don't really know what's going on with him. They just chucked him on at the end. So I can tell you what, you know, there were plenty of times during the 90s and the 2000s that maybe I was very envious of being of, of Manchester United and, you know, what they were trying to achieve. I certainly don't think Arsenal are the finished deal, but God, it's so good watching that going on and I'm glad it's, I'm glad, I'm glad it's not us. And yeah, um, the Ten Hag, the manager, looking a bit bemused, looking a bit like Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. So we'll see, <laughs> see, see how Very see nice. how he see how he goes. Hopefully, it ends a lot better for him than than uh, for uh, for Walter White there. But um, Rob with Liverpool and and Fulham, that was the early kickoff, and you know that was an, e- an easier one for you to watch this season. Uh, Mitrovic coming in and doing the business. This time around, you know, as briefly, I mean, what, what are you thinking? Is that a point saved for Liverpool or is it just 
the standard's so high now that that's already two points dropped at the start of the season. The latter, I think, really. I mean, if you go back to, to last season and you try to track where those uh, missing points were for Liverpool, um, uh, they were um, just after Christmas uh, at uh, the King Power Stadium in a, in a game that Liverpool should have won. And uh, to turn up uh, at... Um, Craven Cottage and uh, and to lose uh, uh, two points in that kind of fashion. Admittedly, uh, what I, I think you and I discussed uh, during the week was that we were seeing a guy who was prolific in the championship and probably just needed the confidence uh, to, uh, to to prove to himself that he could do it uh, on the big stage uh, uh, this time around when he wasn't able to do it uh, in uh, in their last uh, uh, visit to the top flight a couple of years ago. So, uh, look, I, I like the way that Liverpool fought back uh, um, against a, a team that was up and about uh, in, in front of a, um, a partisan home crowd. Um, they could have nicked it. Um, Jordan Henderson uh, uh, had that shot uh, late that, that hit the crossbar. Um, uh, Darwin Nunes um, watching that, that beautiful flick uh, on the back heel, uh, the second attempt, the first one went really close. So, so look, uh, you know, not good news. Um, you know, I was obviously death-riding City uh, on, on Saturday night against West Ham, but, uh, you know, our old mate Erling Braut hard on. I think the reports of his demise were a little premature. <laughs> I think you're a bit harsh on Liverpool there, Rob. The pitch was too hard. It wasn't their fault. Oh, yes, of course. No, I'll, I'll be in lockdown. These are highly paid prima donnas. They couldn't possibly roll out there on uh, Craven mm. Cottage with the pitch too rock hard. Yeah, of course. Well, anyone who missed that, that uh, one of the excuses that Jurgen Klopp rolled out. So, uh, no, I think we'll throw that one. We'll consign that to the scrap heap of history, that that excuse, because uh, obviously it means nothing. I think you're also right on uh, Haaland as well. I certainly wasn't um, the one that was calling for that, you know, for, for, for his head after that community Shield game, he, he popped up with a couple of goals, showed how dangerous a player uh, he is going to be. He can take penalties as well, um, which is a real problem for the Premier League because that was one weakness that Man City had was that they had a bunch of players who were hugely grifted, but for some reason, they really take those a season. And obviously, I think people sort of see him as a target man, but you can see where his strength is. He's actually sitting on the shoulder of the last defender. He's so big and so strong, so hard to and his finishing is excellent. So, look, he's going to score a squillion goals this season. And if he's already not the captain of your fantasy team, you know, been there now, you've already you've already missed out on uh, on one weekend. And, yeah, people calling his demise. I think that's just the era that we live in with uh, clickbait and, uh, you know, people just trying to make a story out of nothing. And I certainly think that's what that was. So, City absolutely up and running at the start of the season, as are the two teams in North London. Spurs, dominant performance over... Southampton, no goals for their big two as well, and they still managed to score four. And, uh, you know, as an Arsenal fan, slightly worried um, about that one. Lynchy, a great friend of the show, I'm sure won't be worried. A good start for Spurs. Arsenal, I did, I, you know, I will happily eat my humble pie here because I called it that we would lose to Crystal Palace and it looked like another banana skin. But Arsenal looked really good and... Uh, you know, his Jesus looked lively up front. Saliba, the twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old centre back, looked excellent as well. So like, that is as good a start to the season as I can remember from Arsenal in some time. You know, we don't often win that opening game of the season, certainly not in recent memory. So that that's an excellent start for the Gunners. And then, of course, we had Chelsea win. That was a bit of a scrape over over Everton, who got a hundred injuries. So they're just going from bad to worse. Newcastle beat Forest. That was good for them. They looked impressive and wins for Leeds and Bournemouth too. I think a lot of us in our theoretical league tables for the end of the season 
probably would have had Bournemouth last, but they've already put three points uh, on the board uh, there too. So uh, well done to them. Uh, so look, guys, a really interesting start to the the Premier League, and you know it's going to come up again this weekend for sure. Spurs and Chelsea, the one that I'm very interested in. Yeah, exactly. And um, and uh, um, credit uh, for a prediction from uh, my uh, my mate Cameron, who uh, is a huge Villa fan, headed up to Brisbane with his dad to watch them play Leeds. Who said, Rob, I can guarantee you that uh, we will not win convincingly if we win at all, and we'll probably lose against Bournemouth. We have this knack of winning games. Games that we shouldn't win and not winning ones that we should. So uh, sorry, uh, Cameron, for your prediction uh, being as accurate as it was. Uh, and when you look at the ladder, um, Bournemouth were, well, on uh, alphabetical order, they were they were on top before any of the games. Who would have thought that they'd be sitting um, second from the top after you know uh, their, their win um, after the first round? Derek, um, City Arc kicks off this weekend. Um, the Italians have uh, got nothing to look forward to in the World Cup break because they won't be there. No, they won't. Uh, but Serie A, uh, you know, is coming back, and you know we can run through a couple of the things. We'll, we'll, we'll look at we'll look at the top of the league. I think that's probably where a lot of our our interest lies. Um, looking at some commentary over the week, uh, AC Milan and and uh, Inter, who are the two last season, you know, very much seen as favourites again. Uh, Inter, of course, have welcomed back. Lukaku, they said goodbye to Alexis Sanchez, who's gone to Marseille. But Lukaku being a bit of a, a talisman from a couple of seasons ago when they won the league certainly uh, looks really strong for them. And, and I can imagine he's going to have another great season. Ibra is back for AC Milan, 40 years and still banging in the goals in Serie A. So he'll be trying to lead the line. I think he is currently injured, but he will... Uh, he will no doubt, come back. The interesting one, one of them is going to be Juventus. They've obviously taken Paul Pogba back from uh, from Manchester United. I mean, they think they love Manchester United, Juventus, because they've just, you know, managed to offload Rabiot, a player in his final contract, the final year of his contract on big money. Thanks very much, Man United. We'll take the cash. And, of course, uh, Paul Pogba has just uh, wandered back in too. So he is injured, but... Is back, but you would like to think that when he joins the likes of Chiesa, Weston McKenney, and some of the others, that that's going to be a dangerous team. But they do have a few injuries that any fans of the old lady should look out for. And of course, Di Maria is back in this is in this team as well, thirty four years old. Um, bit of a surprise move, but Juventus are the kings of picking up a free transfer. And Di Maria, you know, was playing well for Argentina recently, with some great goals and great contributions. So I think he will. He will go well. Um, Napoli looking interesting. Roma, uh, they're also looking interesting too. They're bolstered by the likes of uh, Gini Wijnaldum comes into the side. And I did share a little one in the group earlier. Uh, Dybala's come in from uh, Juventus. And unfortunately for him, one of his first things he did was um, probably one of the worst corner kicks of all time, where he just yes, he scuffed that, it yeah. into the hoardings. It was yeah. it's only going to get better for Dybala at, at Roma. But there are a few people um, saying that, despite you know Roma not looking as good uh, on paper as um, as, uh, as, as as some of their rivals, that and Mourinho, we don't know where he is as a manager, just sort of assembling a bit of a team there and. Mourinho's loved in uh, in that uh, Olympico Stadium, so I think they could be uh, one to look out for as well. But um, Rob, yes, Serie A back up and running. Um, 
back up and running this week for sure. We'll we'll cover a few of the uh, we'll cover a few of the other leagues um, as we as we go. Probably do La Liga next week, but we would have you know it would be an injustice to our listeners not to briefly mention what is going on at Barcelona. They are. Um, Selling, selling the farm, selling everything in the farm—the animals, the tractor, anything that they can find—in order to try and meet their uh, requirements to sign up the players that they've already inside, until of including Kunde from um, Seville, who they signed, who they thought was going to go to Chelsea, but he's come to Barcelona instead. And um, obviously Lewandowski's there. He's not sure whether he's going to get a starting lineup. They've they've got all these players. That they're keeping hold of. There's talk of illegal contracts for uh, for De Jong and and PK and some of the other players. Um, they've, they're signing off 25% uh, of the rights in their production company. They've sold 25% of the rights in their um, th- their revenue for the next 25 years from television. So essentially, that means they're going to be 25% less rich than Real Madrid for the next 25 years. Um, it's a total mess, guys. And again, it's probably another one of those clubs where. You know, I kind of have a soft spot for Barca because just of the iconic nature of their club. But I tell you what, this is also quite funny as well. Yeah, I think um, to to use your oft quoted statement, um, bin fire that'll do on this occasion. And uh, yeah, we'll just watch it as the as the chaos plays out. And as you said, we'll we'll have a closer look at La Liga after round one next week. All right now, Willem, you did you you said you've got a little cracker of a story at the end. Um, so uh, so uh, share that with us. Yes, this one's come across the news desk, and Rob, you often reference your your wide and uh, and strong network of friends. I can't take credit for this one. I've got to say thank you to my good mate Max Griffin, who's been a very dear friend of mine since we were about six years old, and uh, he put this one across the news desk this week. Turkish third tier side Akisaspor are struggling to field a team after eight first team players were stood down for eating the baklava of club presidential candidate Mikhail Kaplan. The Green and Blacks, as they're called, Derek, just like your Western United boys, have slid from the Turkish Super League to the third tier over the past three seasons. It's been disaster after disaster. Uh, last year, they signed Martins Chisholm Onyebeki, uh, who FIFA records then deemed wasn't actually a professional footballer, uh, and now they've been stung by what they're terming the backle of a crisis. So uh, not good. It's always uh, it's always dangerous territory touching the uh, the food in the uh, the office kitchen. Uh, and these eight boys are in uh, big strife. Can you imagine that? You've just turned up, you're eight players, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're battling uh, to get a start in the first team and uh, you're getting a bit peckish and up into the uh, the kitchen and, 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 and you pinch the uh, the chairman's baklava. Well, he's not uh, even the chairman, he's a candidate. He's got his hand up for the role. They're still to have the elections, but... Uh, well, then that's okay. I mean, uh, well, he's calling he, the shots. He should have been bribing them with baklava. Baklava gate. I don't know how you say it in Turkish, but... Um, Anyway, that'll do. Well, nice finish. Um, no, yeah, you'll pay that cracker, Will. All right, buddy. Well done. Um, nice week, mate. Work, uh, mate. Um, you uh, enjoy the week ahead. Will do. Thank you, gents. All the best. Enjoy your football. Derek, thank you for sitting in the co-pilot's chair. Outstanding. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Good to uh, good to be in that chair occasionally. Um, just wanted to squeeze in quickly, gents. Sorry about this, but, uh, you know, we've been following the Athletics' uh, most memorable Premier League moments. You know they released the number one. Did you guys even see what that was? I haven't seen it pop up in my feed yet. I saw um, uh, last week or so they were down to, to about number nine. So what was it? Oh, so number one was drumroll Peter Schmeichel, uh, Manchester United versus Newcastle in 1996. I do remember this one. Uh, a string of unbelievable saves from the great goalkeeper. Uh, keeping that that much fancied Newcastle team at bay and effect, effectively ended 
Newcastle's hopes for the season that year for for winning the league. So um, Big Peter wins. I think we thought it might be someone like Aguero or Thierry Henry or you know, one of those iconic players. It's actually gone to a goalkeeper, no less iconic, but mm. I think that's a pretty fitting end to it, gents. Having a goalkeeper as the uh, the winner of that and uh, fair play. So, yeah, look, there you go. All right, well done. Well done, Peter. As your son heads off to, uh, to Nice, Peter Schmeichel, the great uh, United goalkeeper, wins the number one uh, in the history of the Premier League uh, or playing involvement, score involvement. He didn't score, obviously, a series of great saves by the great man. Damo, thank you as well uh, for uh, making us sound as good as we possibly can. And thank you to our listeners out there. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And please make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.